You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on December 30th, 2018. A reading from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him, and under running laughter, up-vistaed hopes I spread, sped, and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee, who betrayest me. Those are beautiful words, but what do they mean? That's kind of the way poetry goes sometimes. You you have lots of beautiful words, and they're actually full of lots of wonderful and deep meanings, but sometimes you have to unpack them a little bit to get at the substance of what they're talking about. That was a little bit of a portion Uh, from a poem called The Hound of Heaven by Francis Francis Thompson. And it's a poem about how God pursues us like a hound chasing its prey for the hunt and how God eventually wins us over and, and wins us to himself. But you wouldn't get that immediately just from hearing those words. And the reason I say that is that I think the Gospel of John, the prologue to that Gospel that we read this morning, is very poetic, but similarly it needs to be unpacked a little bit 
to get at the deep meaning that's found inside. Because poetry, this is kind of prose and poetry mixed together, it's, it's prose with poetic language, it can just be a little bit cryptic at times. So let's unpack this together. Because in this prologue to the Gospel of John, we learn something about God, we learn something about ourselves, and something that seems almost too good to be true, but it isn't. So let's go. Here we go. The Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, beautiful, but what does that mean? The word word in the scriptures can be a little bit confusing because the word word can refer either to the scriptures when we talk about the word of God, the holy scriptures, God's word that's breathed out and written down in this book so that we can follow along with it and take it to our hearts and and, uh, digest it inwardly. But then the word word also refers to Jesus Christ, who in this gospel is referred to as the word made flesh or in the beginning was the word. And in fact, this gospel is the the place where all those references to Jesus as the word come from. The word word in Greek is logos. And it's an ancient word that has a lot of meaning behind it, both for Greeks and also for Jews. So the Greeks first. To the Greeks, the universe or the cosmos is an ordered place. And the thing which orders the cosmos is an impersonal force called logos, which in their case is translated as reason. So there's a a reason behind the world. It's kind of like the modern theory of an intelligent design. Uh, We know who the intelligent designer is. Some people are content just to let it be an intelligent design, and that's kind of like logos. It's It's an impersonal force behind the orderedness of the universe, the cosmos. To Jews, the word logos also has meaning. And this comes from the book of Genesis, because if you remember, when God created everything in the very beginning, there was nothing at first. God created everything out of nothing. And for everything that is to come into being, God spoke, and then things showed up. So God says, let there be light, and there was light. God says, let there be penguins, and there were penguins. God says, let there be man and woman, let us make man in our image. And so in the image of God, he created them. God speaks, and things come into being. And so what is speech but words? And so when a Jew would hear these words from John, they would hear about, in the beginning was the word, the word of God proceeding forth from the mouth of God. Now, to Jews, of course, God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it says in Deuteronomy. And that doesn't cease to be true for us as Christians, but as Christians, God peels back some of the layers that we can't see to reveal that his oneness is actually made up not just of one God, but three persons. One God in three persons. It bends our brains. It's hard to think about. It's hard to comprehend. And so the best thing we can do is just express that truth. So God is one. And so when we hear about the word being with God and the word being was, uh, and the word being God, the word was with God and the word was God, what we understand is that this word that God speaks and things come into being is actually a person of the Trinity and God himself. And so what we learn is that this word 
is Jesus. And that Jesus has existed from all eternity. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. Before anything was, there was Jesus. Always eternally existing with the Father. And later in the Gospel of John, we'll learn that the Holy Spirit has been there from the beginning of time as well. And so this is a beautiful hint, both to the Jews and to the Greeks, that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but for the whole world as well, for all of humanity. Jesus took on flesh for each one of us, regardless of our heritage. And in him, as it said in Galatians today, all of us become children of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. So that's a little bit about what this gospel says about God. What does this gospel say about us, about humanity? In verse 4, it says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the light was the light, and the life was the light of men. I'm not going to focus so much on the, the image of light and darkness, because we talked about that a lot on Christmas Eve, but I do want to focus a little bit on that image of life. Jesus is the source of life as the Word of God. John doesn't talk about the fall explicitly here, but he does talk about, but he does kind of imply the fall when he says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That darkness is the sin that clouds humanity. That darkness is the, the thing that separates us from the glory of God because God himself is the light and God himself in Jesus is life. So Jesus is truly the source of all life for us, and without him, we are nothing. Without him, we are in darkness. In our natural state as humans, we're cut off from the one true source of life. It's kind of like fish flopping around on a dock. They need the water to be able to get oxygen and breathe, because they breathe through their gills. But when you first catch a fish and you take off the hook and you, you put it in your cooler on the dock, it just flops around. And that's an image of us without God. God is the source of our life, and without him, we're just flopping around on the dock. We need to be reconnected to the source of life to be able to have life. But here's the thing. The world didn't recognize him when he came. says in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That should be a, a great thing because the light is giving light to everybody. And then it says he was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. And then he goes on to say that he came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. His own people, of course, were the Jews, the children of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. Jesus' own people did not receive him. So Jesus comes into the world to save us, but the people he's trying to save don't get it. They don't recognize him. They don't receive him. Even though we need Jesus as our source of life, our fallen state prevents us from seeing this need clearly. We think we can do it on our own. We think I can, we can go our own way. And in fact, that's what the fall was all about. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. 
In other words, if you eat this fruit, you get to decide for yourself what's good and evil. You get to do it your own way. We're fond of doing that in this day and age. We like to do it our own way. But Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is the one true thing that connects us back to God. And so if you think about fairy tales, we talked to the kids about Cinderella this morning, but think of all of the different kinds of fairy tales where there's a problem, maybe it's a dragon eating up all the children in a village, or maybe it's a foreign enemy trying to take over the city. There's lots of things that you read about in fairy tales, but what always happens? There's a rescuer that comes in on a white horse and the people celebrate. They're so happy that the rescuer is here and that he's finally going to do something about their problem. Well, Jesus is truly our rescuer. He's the one who comes to fix the problem, but he doesn't receive the hero's welcome. And even more amazingly, he knew before he even came that he wouldn't receive the hero's welcome. And he did it anyway. He loves us that much that he's willing to come after us, even though he knows that we don't know that we need him. He's willing to pursue us like that hound of heaven and to win us back to himself. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Even though we can't see Jesus clearly, he can see us. And he's shining his light into our lives and into the lives of everyone, into the lives of his whole cosmos. And he's drawing us back to himself. And we know that he's victorious. Darkness has not overcome the cosmos, and it doesn't have to overcome us. So where does the hope come from? It comes in the very next verse. Remember, his own people did not receive him, But then it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When we receive Jesus into our lives, when we welcome him, we actually become children of God. That brokenness that we've had since the the fall, since Adam and Eve went their own way and brought all of us with them following in their footsteps, that brokenness comes to an end when we receive Jesus. Because when we receive Jesus, we receive God himself. And Jesus is the one who can restore us to God. Everyone is made in the image of God, but not everyone is a child of God. We're fond of thinking, sort of in a a warm, fuzzy way, oh, everyone's a child of God. No, not everyone's a child of God. We're all made in his image, but until we receive Jesus, we are not children of God. In Galatians, it says you need to receive Jesus and be baptized to be welcomed into the kingdom and adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so this only happens when we receive Jesus. But when we do receive Jesus, something remarkable happens. St. John Chrysostom, who was one of the greatest preachers of all time and one of the early church fathers, one of the early leaders of the church, he said this about the incarnation and about us as children of God. For he, Jesus, became son of man, who was God's own son, in order that he might make the sons of men, humankind, to be children of God. By no means did he diminish his own nature by his condescension, But he raised us, 
who had always sat in disgrace and darkness to unspeakable glory. Catch that again. He raised us who had always sat in disgrace and darkness to unspeakable glory. When we receive Jesus into our lives, we're raised up out of darkness, out of muck, out of mire, out of disgrace and shame. And we're raised up to a place of glory in God's own household. We are children of God. Now, this does not mean that we become God. Our sonship is not exactly the same as the sonship of Jesus. But it does mean that God becomes personal. And it does mean that we gain an inheritance. So let's talk about first thing first. God becomes personal. In verse 18 of the gospel today, it says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now that's a little poetic and confusing again. No one has ever seen God, but God has made him known. What does that mean? Well, here we're talking first about God the Father. No one has ever seen God the Father, but the only God, Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus makes the Father known to us because Jesus is God with skin on. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus has a face and a body that we can relate to. As people, we're fond of things that we can see and things that we can touch. We can look at a a couple places in the Old Testament that, that sort of prove this point. First of all, you might remember when Moses was leading the people through the wilderness, God called him up on a mountain so that he could give him the law. And the people stayed down at the base of the mountain with Aaron, Moses' brother. And when Moses had been gone not very long, the people started to get nervous. They said, Moses isn't here anymore. What are we going to do? And Aaron says, oh, I know just what to do. Give me all of your gold earrings and all of your gold, and and I'm going to melt it down. I'm going to make a golden calf. And so he does that, and he lifts it up, and he says, Behold, Israel, here is your God who led you out of the wild, out of Egypt, out of slavery. Is that their God? Absolutely not. But they could see it, and they could touch it, and that was comforting. Or think about Samuel many years later. Samuel was a prophet and a leader in the people of Israel because he spoke God's word to the people, and that's how the people had existed for a very long time since Moses. They didn't have a king. They had a prophet who heard from God, and God was their king. And so the prophet was the mouthpiece of God. But the people see the nations around them, and they get itchy for a king. They say, we want a king like everybody else has a king. They have king envy. They want to have what every other nation has. And so they say, give us a king. And God says, okay. If you really want a human king, I'll give him to you. But he's going to take your sons and make them soldiers. He's going to take your daughters and make them work in his household. And he's going to take your money and tax you incredible, in, in more, you know, lots of taxes. Who likes taxes? I don't like taxes. They're necessary, but I don't like them. That's what a king's going to do for you. But the people wanted a king anyway because they couldn't see God, but they could see a king. We like to see things and we like to touch things. And so God gives us Jesus. In Colossians, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
He's the one that we can see and touch. The one that we can relate to like you can relate to your best friend. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus puts a face and flesh on the God who had been hidden to us since Adam and Eve first left the garden. In the garden, Adam and Eve were able to walk with Jesus through the garden. They were able to see him and talk to him and hug him and hold his hand. But when they left the garden, all of that changed. And so when Jesus comes into the world as the word made flesh, he begins to restore what had been broken. He begins to repair that darkness. He begins to repair that sin. And he begins to repair that brokenness that separates us from God. And so in Galatians, which we read today, it says, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is is the personal name for father. It's like saying daddy or papa. Father is sort of a a formal term, and we think of, of God as God the Father, formal out there. But in Jesus, when we receive Jesus, God becomes personal to us. And so we can cry out, Abba, Father, because he's our daddy. He's our papa just like he's Jesus' papa. God becomes personal when we receive Jesus, when we become children of God. But we also receive an inheritance. What might that inheritance be? Well, in Ephesians, it talks about how the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. It's the, the first portion of our inheritance. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God himself, actually comes to live in us, to live in our hearts. And that's, again, what Galatians just said. Paul says, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. God dwelling in our very hearts. And so the Holy Spirit is a portion of our inheritance. The other portion is that we're restored in our relationship with God and we receive eternal life. And the great thing about that is that we don't have to wait till we die to receive our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is here in us now, and then eternal life extends from right now into all of eternity. God fixes what's broken. He heals what's unwell. He restores us to himself. And in him we have eternal life. So rise up, church, and rejoice. For the word became flesh, and we have become children of God. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the season of incarnation as we remember each year how you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into the world to take on human flesh. We thank you that you love us so much that you are willing to restore us even when we were kicking and screaming against you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live into our inheritance. We pray that you would change us by your Holy Spirit, that you would fix us and mend us and draw us to yourself, that we might find our eternal life in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.